Thanks, guys. Well, good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church community. My name is Nathan. Happy to see you here. The Sunday after Easter, one of the least popular Sundays of the year to come to church. But I'm so glad you're here. This is the day I was telling some folks earlier. This is the day a lot of pastors take off because Easter is this like event. Easter is like the Super Bowl for churches, and everyone tries to put their best foot forward on Easter. A lot of people willing to come to church on Easter. You want to do your best. You want to welcome, invite everybody that you can. Um, and as a consequence, everybody can be just wiped out. I don't know. It's like it resets church attendance. Everybody comes on Easter. And so it's like, well, I was at the gym yesterday, right? Why don't I so, uh, but I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to be here. I love this Sunday. I love the Sunday after Easter. It feels to me to be um, uh, some of the things that I, I push back against in regard to kind of church as event, church as performance, which we try not to do that at all. But some of that stuff, it's just all gone for me on this day. This day feels very authentic, uh, personal. It feels very intimate, and, um, and I'm excited to be here to share a teaching that uh, I've had on my heart for a couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm glad you're here with us as well. Raise your hand if you'd like a Bible or you're new, you'd like an information card. We can hand one to you, and um, you can turn that in a little bit later if you like. Another dynamic kind of affecting our thinner crowd here this morning is uh, we have two retreats happening this weekend. So we have a group of about 20 women who are up in Truckee, and a lot of them are moms, and so... A lot of dads have decided, ah, I'll just pass this morning. In fact, but hey, Ryan Beidler, you're here, strong. Four kids, right on. This morning we had, let's see, we had Ryan George. What's that? Wait, Belanca was here. Ryan George, twin toddlers. Don't play around with that guy. He will be at the 9 o'clock on time, even though his wife's gone. So um, what else? Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a young men's retreat happening, too, at the beach, um, about 10 young guys with Carlos, which is a good thing. Um, so that's happening. Lots of stuff is going on, and, uh, and we had a great Sunday. We had a great Sunday last week. Easter Sunday was, it was our biggest Sunday ever in 12 years, 150 people more than we've ever had before. So it was a powerful, uh, powerful morning for us as an organization and as a community, so I'm really grateful that for that. And I'm also just thankful to be here with you this morning. So it feels very much like we're beginning a new season. And, and in a sense, we are in, um, in the sense sort of a church calendar. We've been through Lent, which is this fasting season. It's a season of preparation for Easter. And now we're in the season of Easter, which is a feasting season. We should be celebrating the ramifications of resurrection, especially in the next few weeks. It really carries all the way through the summer, the season of Pentecost. Then on a more like community sort of degree or level, uh, our church is in a new season. It feels like we're kind of starting a new season in that we bought this theater a year ago. We had in August, we laid out a, like almost a full year plan, and that ended on Easter. And then the, it really kind of hit high speed January through Easter Sunday. We literally had the weeks on the board in the office, and the last week was Easter. I wasn't sure if anything would happen today, right? Because everything was just sort of focused on getting to Easter. And so we're in this new season of like uh, gathering here and planning forward from this, from this point. And, and it's been tough. A lot of folks have been working really hard. A lot of you have been spending a ton of time volunteering. Our staff is smoked, super wiped out. Um, and, and, and I'm just really grateful for the degree to which you all have embraced the challenges of moving across town and then also going to two gatherings from one. There's just a ton of logistics involved there. So last week, 
um, my family and I, we kind of cleared a couple of appointments on Thursday morning. It was spring break, but it's always the busiest week of the year for me, and so it's a challenging uh, dynamic. Um, but we were able to take Thursday and go to the, one of our favorite places, which is Point Reyes National Seashore, and uh, spend some time there on the beach. Just spent an afternoon there. It's the windiest place on the West Coast, if you don't know. It's, uh, and it didn't disappoint. 70-mile-an-hour gusts of wind out there on the beach. We could hardly stand up. I could show you a video another time. But we were out there on the edge just trying to, like, live it, experience it. It's a beautiful place. It's north of San Francisco. There's dramatic cliffs. There's these wild waves going in all kinds of uh, different directions. Um, there's, you know, the ocean just kind of drops off. You actually drive out on the point. You can see the ocean on either side. And the day was really interesting. All these ominous clouds kept coming over making the whole place feel dark, but it was so windy that they'd pass. And then, you know, you'd feel like sort of down and, oh, life's hard. And then it would pass. And there'd be this glorious sunshine. And, and we, so we had a lot of fun out there uh, together. And as I'm looking around, I'm seeing all this stuff, you know, that the ocean is just pulling the ground in to the ocean. And the few trees that exist are just bent low because the wind is so severe. What we went to see was the lighthouse, right? And it's out on the tip of this Point Reyes, it's out way out, poking out in the tip of the windiest place on the West Coast, and it is literally bolted to the, to the rock, and it's not going anywhere, right? It's just solid. It's just, it's just stayed right there. And so here's a little bit about what's going, in, going on in my head that afternoon. I'm thinking about where we've been. I'm thinking about the last three months. I'm thinking about it's Holy Week and there's been all this hard work and all these logistics and people have been working on putting together all this kind of stuff. Good Friday is tomorrow. I'm thinking about that. Easter's in three days. I'm thinking about that. I'm surrounded by my family, which is a totally beautiful thing. I'm exhausted, so my parenting is subpar, right? So there's that dynamic, right? I'm not patient at all. Um, and yet I'm trying to like, by the kindness of God, I'm aware of his presence in my life and the beauty that's all around me. And so I'm just trying to soak in that. And I'm always thinking about what I'm teaching. I'm just always thinking about it. It's my default to where I go. Like, what am I teaching? What am I teaching next? And so we're in this series called Build This House. And the series came out of a, a set of readings I did around Christmas where I started noticing all these places in the Bible where the word house shows up. And it's a really dynamic word. And so I get, a, I get really drawn in by stuff like that. Like, oh, here's something new for me to learn. I want to I get into this. And um, so let me talk to you a little bit about that in light of this sort of the stability of this lighthouse kind of image. And then we'll come back to the lighthouse here in the, in the end. Uh, the Hebrew word for house is this word bayith. Can you say bayith? Very nice. So typically bayith is translated house. And it means like a dwelling, a house, a place that you would live. But sometimes it's translated in different ways. Sometimes it means your family. Sometimes it means the people that you live with, your kids, your grandkids. It means your household. That's what we say in our culture, our household. Sometimes it's translated the house of God. It's a, it's a holy place. It's a place set apart for worship. It's the temple. It's called the bayith of God, right? Um, and then also it keeps expanding. And sometimes a bayith or a house is, it's not so literal. It's more metaphorical. It means your life. Like, my life is my house. All that I am and all that I've built, it's my house. Uh, and, so, and then in the New Testament, it expands even farther, and the people of God are the house. And I'm going to talk about that in two weeks. I'm super excited uh, to share with you about that. Here's what's interesting to me about the Hebrew word. So Hebrew is the original language in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word 
for house is so fascinating to me. It's because Beith is a noun, like a house. Of course, it's a noun. But the root of the word is another word, bana, and it is a verb. So the root of the word house is a verb, and the verb means to build or to make. So it's just really fascinating to me. The root of the thing, house, the root of that is, is a verb, to make or, or to build. And I, and I love this because it speaks to me of, this, of the action, of the work, of the doing and the making and the building and the growing that is at the, at the core of the thing, the, the house, right? Whether it's a physical home, whether it's your household, whether it's a place of worship, even a people, the thing is at its core just a result of the actions that built it, right? That's always the case. The thing, whatever the thing is, is at its core. It's just a result of the actions that built it. In other words, I love how the word itself communicates this truth that we don't just have a house. We, we build a house. Some of you literally have built the house in which you live. We don't just have a family. You build the family. You make a family, right? You birth and you adopt, and you invite in, and you welcome, and you open up your arms. This is what you do to make the thing. Right? You don't just have a meaningful life. You create one. You build it. You form it. You assemble it. You labor, and you forge, and you do the work that is required to have the thing. Because the root of the thing is the verb that creates it. Right, so today I want to look at this teaching of Jesus, which uses the word house in this very broad sense of my life is my house, um, that all that I am and all that I've built is my house. It's, it's not just my dwelling, though it includes that. It's not just my family, though it includes that. But I want to talk about your whole life this morning as your house. Okay? Think of that as your house. And the teaching that we're going to look at is one of these famous teachings of Jesus, which is very easily... Uh, I should say this, it's partially understood. It's one of the most common used, commonly used teachings of Jesus, but only part of it is used. Uh, the first half is typically ignored. It's, it's not well known. You hear parts of this teaching all of the time. It's probably the most famous use in Jesus of the word house. Um, but what you hear, you hear the metaphor part. You rarely hear the part to which the metaphor refers I'm talking about the teaching that is commonly known as the wise man who built his house on the, on the rock. Have you heard of that? Does that ring a bell? It can be pretty familiar to some because there's, it's really a beautiful teaching and there's a contrast. There's a wise man, he builds his house on the rock. Then there's a foolish man who builds his house on sand. And this is a part that's relatively well known and it's used even in our culture to basically say, if you're smart, you'll build on the rock define it as you will, and if you're stupid, you'll build on sand. And, and I literally heard an ad at Christmas time that used this. It's like, don't be, be, this is what it was, it wasn't positive, be like the man who built his house on a rock. Purchase my air conditioning service. That's what, I mean, you can apply it to whatever you want, and that's what our culture does with a lot of the teachings of Jesus. It's like, I'll use this sort of culturally familiar image don't be stupid, right? Build, be solid, be smart instead, and I'll apply it to whatever I feel like uh, applying it to. Uh, but this is the well-known, what's, what's less well-known is the actual substance of Jesus' teaching. Now, this teaching of Jesus 
wise man builds his house on a rock. It is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where it is in the Bible. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' core teachings summarized into one sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Three long chapters full of really intense ethical, practical, spiritual teachings. And the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is this sort of short parable or metaphor that Jesus gives. Here's what he says. Therefore, and he's referring to, he's referring to the whole Sermon on the Mount. Whenever you see a therefore, realize that's not really the beginning. You should look back and see what's before it. So what Jesus is referring to is Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the essence of his teaching, the core of it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice, it's everyone. It's not just the Jews. It's not just the religious people. It's not just notorious sinners. It's everyone. We got to pick up one that's, because that applies to us. Everyone who hears, so there's something else that I am in need of. Someone's got to preach to me. Someone's got to share the truth with me. Literally, my life is dependent on that, right? Um, But what I got to do as a receiver of the news is I got to put the words of Christ into practice. And that's the idea that's connected to this stability of a house, of a life built on the rock. Here's the rest of what Jesus says. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds beat and blew or blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Here's the contrast. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Same thing happens. The rain comes down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. All right, I want to point out three things about this teaching from Christ that I think are instructive and challenging and helpful to us, and I want to do that in a way of kind of coming in the back door with some stories. So I want to talk to you about uh, feeding chickens, and then I want to talk to you about practicing yoga, and then I want to talk to you about, we'll go back to Point Reyes National Seashore, all right, in a minute. Okay, so first, when I was a kid, chores were a big part of my life. We had a couple of acres, and so we had animals, and we had fruit trees, and we had lawns that we had to mow. And so from the time I was about seven or eight years old, I was doing chores every morning. My chore at the beginning, the start was feed the chickens. But it was more than feed the chickens. It was like get the eggs. It was clean the nests. And as I got older, the chores expanded. And we had horses and pigs and sheep and all kinds of things, stacking wood. But from the beginning to the end, Kathy, seven to 18, the thing that got me the worst was cleaning the chickens' water. I hated cleaning the chickens' water. I hated it. I just detested the stupid chicken water. We had this dumb thing. I mean, it wasn't even like now they've got all these like kind of ongoing uh, watering opportunities, right? We, now, we had just a, a drawer. We had like this old corrugated tin sort of thing, and you had to fill it up with water, and you had to clean it out. And I was always struggling with it, and it was whenever I got busted or grounded as a kid, it had to do with that stupid chicken water, right? My mom had this image of, of, uh, of, of this chicken water as this like beautiful, clear, Alhambra-like source for these chickens. And it was so hard for me. It was hard for me for a few reasons. It was tedious. It was it was nasty, frankly. It was just gross because chickens step and do other things in, right in their water. It's just nasty. And most difficult of all for me was it just felt so, so unnecessary. It just felt so pointless. 
Right? I would be like dumping out the poop-filled water off to the side, and they would drink it off the ground. They didn't apparently need Alhambra-like crystal clear water like my mom thought that they did. So I was always skimping on the clean the water of the chicken's chore, and it would make my parents mad, and most of the times I got grounded as a kid had to do with a stupid chicken water. At least I thought it did. I thought it had to do with chicken water. Um, it really wasn't about the chicken water. It was about, and neither is this story, uh, it, it was about obedience. That's what it was about. It was about this simple reality, which is that when parents tell a kid to do something, they're supposed to do it. Amen, right? That's just the way it is, right? That is reality. That's, that's the principle of parenting and other things that needs to just be acknowledged. So my mom would tell me to clean the chicken water, um, and, and if I didn't clean the chicken water, well, she could assume one of three things. Either A, I didn't hear her, or B, I didn't understand what you wanted me to do, or uh, C, I just don't want to do, do it. I just don't want to obey you, and, and inherent there is uh, some serious disrespect, right? It doesn't take long to clear up options A and B. What comes pretty, pretty quickly is the fact that I just, I just didn't feel like doing what you said, which is inexcusable. Um, but I did it all the time with my mom. And uh, we do it all the time with Jesus. We do it all the time with Jesus, and we're really good at it. I don't mean that it's a good thing, but we've become pretty sophisticated and talented at just saying, well, I just kind of don't feel like doing what Jesus tells me to do. And, and this is how we do it. We, we can hide our lack of obedience in a bunch of other things. Like one of the most common things for Christians in our culture to do is to get together and talk about what Jesus says. We call them Bible studies, right? We get together, we talk about what Jesus says. Can you imagine your kids just getting together and talking about what you told them to do? And then like praying and being done, and that's it? I heard Francis Chan do a bit on this. He's a, a preacher in San Francisco. And um, there's something like, can you imagine I come up to my, my sons and I'm like, um, did, you, did you empty the dishwasher last night? Because it, it doesn't look like anyone emptied it. And I clearly told you to empty it. And can you imagine if, if this was my kid's reaction, if he was just like, oh, man, it's just so hard. It's just so, I just struggle with that. I just struggle. I don't really know what to do. But what I did is I got together with some friends and, and we talked about what you might mean when you say clean or empty the dishwasher. And we talked about like the ramifications of emptying the dishwasher on our own lives and how that would maybe improve our life. And we even talked about the, the witness it would be to others if we actually emptied the dishwasher. And then we, you know, we prayed and we had some coffee and we were done. And then I would, you know, I would say something like, gosh, did you actually, but you didn't actually do it. You, you did, it's not done. You didn't do anything. And then they, oh, it's just so hard, though. I'm just really struggling with it. But, um, but we memorized what you said. We, we memorized it. We, you said, empty the dishwasher. That's what you said. We've all got it memorized. And we, you know, we can remember where you were standing, and we know the context of your statement. Can you imagine that? Imagine I say to my kids, um, the lawn looks terrible. You haven't mowed it in two weeks. What's going on? Oh, I'll totally do that. And then you go in and they find him in the room and they're like reading a philosophy of lawn care book or something. But this is so, these are the kinds of things we do. We put off obedience. We put off doing what Jesus says because we just rather talk about it, talk about how hard it is, and, and imagine what it might. This is the craziest phrase. Why do we use this? What would it look like if we did why do we do that? It's such a cop-out. It's such a common thing, right? Jesus has just finished this big public teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, all this practical ethics. He's talking about peacemaking, talking about law-keeping, dealing with conflict, very practical stuff. 
marriage, divorce, loving your enemy, caring for the poor, how to pray, how to invest your life in things that matter, how to invest your resources in things that matter. He talks, about, talks against worry. Uh, he teaches about judging others, speaks against that. It's all this really challenging, really practical, real life sort of stuff. And then he just basically says, now do it. That's the, that's the conclusion. That's, this, that's the house on a rock kind of idea. Now, now go do it. And, and he, in fact, he says the fact that we, that we lack, uh, our lack of doing what he says is the sure sign that we don't know him, is what he, is what he says. Uh, but if he is your Lord, the, the simple reality is that you will, you'll just do what he says. You'll do it. Uh, that went away. There it is. It's still going away. Even the technology is trying to escape from the hardcore reality. That There it is. Right? And then he says this. Everyone who hears these words of mine, and he puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Um, in other words, the point is not just to hear the teachings of Jesus. The, 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 the point is to put his teachings into practice. In other words, to obey what he says, to just do what he says. Whether you agree with it or not is not the point. Uh, like it wasn't the point. The, the, the chicken water wasn't the point. Obedience was the point. I didn't need to learn how to do chicken water. I needed to learn obedience. That's what I needed to learn. Right? And then it's actually more than just about one-time obedience for Jesus. Here's a second idea. Jesus actually says, whoever hears my teachings and puts them into practice. Right? Anybody um, practice yoga? Want to admit it in here? Some of you? Yeah. Anyone know somebody who practices yoga or does yoga? That's safer, right? Yeah, I'm not sure what he's going to say. Anyone have a strong opinion about yoga? Maybe? Yeah, good. So um, I, I happen to know some people that, that do yoga. And here's my point. There's there's language within any kind of workout system, which is essentially what I see it as. Um, you could argue that, and I'm fine with that. Um, but I'm fascinated by the different ways people talk about the things that they do. And what you'll hear in, um, in the language of those who are teaching yoga is, is this simple phrase, is this in your practice? Is this, and what they're talking about is a move or a stretch or a position, and it, whether or not it is in your practice. And I don't know the name. Something, you know, like, is you know, drinking camel in your practice or is, is handstand in your practice. And what they mean by that is not do you know, right? Oh, there's always things about dogs in yoga. What is that? Um, and they don't mean do you know what it is and they don't mean did you do it once. They mean is this something that you are in the process of practicing consistently? Is this something that you are working on in order to perfect it uh, acknowledging that you probably never get it exactly right. Is this part of what you do? Do you not just know how to do it, but do you actually do it? Do you have this in your practice? This phrase is really fascinating to me. And if yoga is just too much, then think about it. It's in the medical realm. People talk about, well, you need this kind of test. We don't do that in our practice. You need to go here for that. This is part of their practice. Or in legal speak, uh, we do personal injury law. That's the kind of practice we have. You need to go somewhere else if it's another kind. I find this phrase really helpful, and I find it really challenging because it places the emphasis not on what you know, but on what you do. That's, that's what I'm trying to get to. It places the emphasis not on what you know, but on what you do. And so if we can maybe uh, learn from this phrase and maybe apply it, it would be like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches about forgiveness. And then I can imagine him saying kind of in yoga speak, uh, so is forgiveness part of your practice? 
Imagine him saying something like that. Not, do you understand conceptually the, con, the, the, the idea of forgiveness? But no, that's because that's not the point. Do you practice forgiveness? That's essentially what, he would, what, what he's asking here. Um, he teaches, about, it's not about like know what I teach, it's about do what I teach. And it's even more than one-time obedience. It's about incorporating my teachings into your life. Uh, he teaches about worry, which is such a practical um, challenging subject for us in our culture. And he would say something like this. So are, are you putting my worry teaching into practice? Or do you just know what it is? Are, are you actually practicing it? Or he might say, I know you're kind of new to this, so this might be challenging for you, but do you have prayer in your practice? Is this something that you're doing? I'm terrible at it. I'll never perfect it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not the point. Are you practicing it? Is this part of what you do? Is this part of your lifestyle? Do you, do you do this regularly? Or he might say, I see that self-control is a real challenge for you. Do you have fasting in your practice? Because that's what that's about. Like, I know you know what fasting is. That's not my point, I think he would say. He would say, are you putting fasting into practice? Are you... Are you doing this and are you doing this consistently? Because it's the doing part. It's the, it's the practicing part that Jesus connects to the house built on a rock metaphor, right? That's what he makes, there's the connection. So there's all kinds of teachings of Jesus, but according to this lens, there's really only two kinds of people. There's the kind of people that are putting Jesus' teachings into practice and there's the kind of people who aren't. Right? His little story here at the conclusion of his sermon, two categories of people. One's called wise, one's called foolish, and it has everything to do with are you practicing what I'm teaching? Super challenging. How was Lent for you, by the way? Did you, did you engage in this season of preparation to celebrate Easter, which is traditionally a, a time of fasting, of giving something up or of adding something to your life? I, I um, embraced a fast that had to do with the use of my cell phone, which has everything to do. I mean, look here, I'm distracted. Two notes, even right, I'm preaching. I'm trying to preach, <laughs> pulling out my own cell phone, right? It's because it's always there. It's always available. Um, there's any kind of downtime, I'm reaching for the whatever it is, the dopamine hit, the, uh, the in interesting um, which is they say what you get when you, you, know, you see some news or whatever, uh, an interesting item that's happening with one of the teams I follow, or whatever. So I was trying to put the phone down uh, at a certain time every day. My, um, one of my kids um, embraced a Lent fast or practice and was consistent, like religiously consistent with it for 40. I can literally see the difference that it made. I can literally see it. And what's fascinating to me, friends, is this, that the, it's the, the quality of change that can actually take place in somebody's life in just 40 days if we consistently practice something. And some of us, I think, are kind of wired with this suspicion for spiritual practices, like it focuses too much on what you're doing. It gets into legalism, and I understand that. Most of us are um, affected by Christian traditions that came out of the Reformation, this sort of renewal movement of the church in the 16th century, which was good and right, in my view, trying to correct some overemphasis on, you know, paying for indulgences, earning your way into the love of God. We needed some correction there as a church. 
But one of the unintended and I think un unfortunate consequences of the Reformation, as it's sort of become 500 years old, is lax spiritual practice, is passive discipleship, uh, is, to be really blunt, spiritual laziness. Uh, and, and the sobering reality is that most Christians notice very little difference at the end of Lent. And, and I, would, I would suggest that it's because very little Christians, very few Christians are actually sticking to any sort of practice for even 40 days. Even 40 days, most of us didn't really stick with a plan that was focused on something physical that was connected to something spiritual. You might push back and say, you know what? What matters is what I believe. That's what really matters, what I believe as though belief is some intellectual-only exercise that's unconnected with your lifestyle, that's really, that's a false dichotomy. We can't make that. That's a line that doesn't exist in real life. Uh, the way we live is the way we worship, right? You can't con disconnect those two. At least um, Jesus doesn't seem to. I think this teaching that we're looking at this morning confronts that directly. Everyone who hears my teachings and puts them into practice. He doesn't say everyone who hears my teachings and believes I'm correct. He says everyone who hears my teachings and puts them into practice. Um, so he's confronting that directly. And then finally, let me get us back to, um, let me get us back to Point Reyes. So I'm watching these waves just crashing, 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 and everything that is not just rock is getting all churned up. Right, all mixed up. The ocean's all full of all this stuff that's just getting washed up. And I'm thinking about this passage about a wise man who builds his house on something solid, like a rock. And, and there, are two, there are two dynamics here, two really sobering things that Jesus includes, even just in these four verses. Two really sobering things that happen to the people that he's talking about. The first is that adversity comes to both. The wise and the foolish. Adversity comes. That is the next sentence. And then the second sobering thing that happens is you're like, oh, but only, only to one, right? No, to all. Adversity comes to all. Suffering comes to all. That's sobering to me. We would like a fairy tale ending that says, if you put my uh, teachings into practice, your house will be built on a rock, and it will always be sunny in your neighborhood. But it actually doesn't say that. It says you build your house on a rock, or it's like building your house on a rock, and then adversity comes. Right? The rain, the storms, the floods beat against that house. It's word for word the same, friends. If you've got your Bibles open, verse 25 and 27, the consequences, in other words, are exactly the same. Rain came down, streams rose, winds blew and beat against that house, the wise man's house. Rain came down, streams rose, winds blew and beat against that house, foolish man's house. Same thing. Same thing happens to both groups. Both the wise man and the foolish man experience adversity. Both the wise man and the foolish man experience and suffer hardships. This morning, out over here, cancer diagnosis at the 9 o'clock, right in the middle, loss of job. Right over here, fear about a kid, an adult kid. It's not because they are being punished, right? It's because life's broken. Stuff happens to everybody. The difference is one will stand and one will crash. Right? One will stand through the adversity, one will crash. Um, here to finish is a quote from a Christian leader from the 4th century. His name is John Chrysostom. 
and he was in Greece. He's a powerful speaker. I mean, I didn't hear him, but uh, he writes powerful sermons, and he writes about this, this passage, and this is what he says. I'm going to read it kind of slowly. He says, in the crashing surf of the present circumstances, which I think is so powerful, and the crash, because that's what it feels like to me often. The waves just keep coming, right? They just, seriously, they're just, they just keep coming, right? The crashing surf of the present circumstances. The one who practices Jesus' teachings experiences a calm sea. And John Chrysostom, he says, this is amazing. Because it's when the storm is violent, the upheaval great, the temptations continual, that such a person is not shaken in the slightest. This is not a way of living that applies to fair weather only. What's he talking about? He said the way of Jesus doesn't just work for people whose lives are easy. That's what he's saying. This is not a way of living that applies to fair weather only. For Jesus says, John's referring to Jesus, for Jesus says the rain came down, the floods come, the winds blew, they beat against that house, and it did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. In referring to rain, floods, and winds, Jesus is speaking about all those human circumstances and misfortunes such as false accusations, plots, bereavements, deaths, loss of family members, insults from others, and all the horrid things in life which one could speak or about which one could speak. Uh, sorry, I got a hyper little clicker. Can you uh, go back to the end of that? Jesus says that the soul, next one. Jesus says that a soul that pursues the way of excellence does not give in to any of these potential disasters. And that the cause of this is that his soul has been founded upon the rock. One more, please. Now, rock refers to the stability of Jesus' teachings. For his commands are stronger than the rock. That's what he says. So, friends, here's the goal. The goal is that in the crashing surf of the present circumstances, to quote Chris Austin, which is the way life is for all of us, right? Uh, it's just always crashing. The goal is not just that your life or your house doesn't fall. Uh, and, and clearly, it's a possibility that it would because it happens all the time. People get devastated by realities all the time. And it's clearly a possibility that lives crash and fall apart. But the goal is not just that our lives don't crash. The goal is that your house will be built on uh, a rock, that your whole life, could you go to the next one, please? Your whole life will be built on this stability, this reliability, the rock of Jesus's teachings, that you will obey his teachings, yes, but you obey them as an ongoing practice, as a way of life, and that as a result, you will not fall. Or to put it in the positive, that your life will be solid, that your life will be solid, because you don't just know the teachings of Jesus, right? And you didn't just one time try it, but you have put them into practice, right? Your life will be characterized by a real, honest-to-goodness stability, even in the midst of the chaos. The goal is that your house would not prove to be a fair-weather house, which looks so impressive 
until adversity comes, until suffering comes. And it will come because it comes to all of us. But the goal is that your house will be solid, enduring, found to be sound and whole after the storm, after the storm. Yes, we did endure that. Yes, we did. Not credit to us, but as a natural result, as a promised consequence of having lived a life built on the practice of the teachings of Jesus, right? Because you learned the teachings of Jesus Christ and because you put them into practice. I'm terrible at it. That's okay. I struggle and doubt the whole time. I know. It's hard, isn't it? But I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust that he knows better than I, that his way is better than mine. It may feel like clean and chicken water, like I don't want to do it. I don't even see the point. But I'm going to be formed by this consistency, this trust put in action. Yes, your beliefs matter, but your actions reveal what's truly believed. So let's put that into practice. Let's respond to Christ in faith and trust by doing what he says. And in his grace, may we be like the wise man, right, whose house is built on the rock. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we absolutely need your grace. We absolutely need your help. I pray for a willingness to trust you. Uh, I pray for clarity enough to know what to do. Um, next steps. Maybe just one thing, one teaching. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you uh, move in our hearts and minds to reveal one part of our life, one word from you. We just need to, we need to start there. We just need to start there, and we need to put that into practice, and we need to do it again tomorrow and again the next day and again the next day. And would you empower us to do that and enable us uh, to enter into seasons of consistency enough that we, that we would be formed and that we would be made strong as we follow you, our Lord and our King. Amen. 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 Would you stand up with me, friends? I want to take a minute to uh, invite you to greet those around you this morning, offer peace, welcome to those who are, who are close to you. We'll come back in just one minute, share a couple things about what's going on in our community, and then we'll